If you're in the UK, good evening. If you're in the US or Canada, good afternoon. Or if you happen to be in Australia or Japan, good morning. On today's show, I speak to somebody who I've got the utmost respect for, Mr. Greg Burridge. How are we? Hello, mate. Yep. Uh, thanks for having me on. Not Good at all. Be... No, it's absolute plus. Yeah, we've got loads to talk about. But first, intern, roll the intro. Now, first things first, Greg, did we have a good birthday? I did. I had a really good birthday. I look good for 42, right? I wouldn't have said you're 42 without looking that up. It took too long of a pause there, mate. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. Anything exciting this week other than the birthday or just usual stuff? Mate, my, my birthday fell on a Tuesday, so... The, the old me would have known, to be fair, the old me would have known 100 mental places go on a tuesday cool places in london but london's not that cool anymore um so no i just kind of well i had a chilled one with the family uh we went out mm. for a meal um and hanged out with my girlfriend and stuff like this you know i did a, ca a casual 42nd uh birthday it was very nice thank you for thank you for asking young man how old are not you a i am at 30 okay cool so you've got a little way to catch up with me yet Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Uh, yeah, I mean, so obviously it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. I mean, there's so much obviously to talk about, obviously, with you. I mean, uh, let's start obviously with the wrestling, shall we? So you mentioned, obviously, when we were speaking in messaging, check out TWA. Now, that was obviously with Scott Conway, 2002, 2003. What was that like? Well, OK, yeah. T yeah, that's where I got my break, pretty much. In terms, no, tell a lie. I, I I started off with my big break with um, Brian Manelli, who uh, predominantly works the holiday camp circuit in Britain. So, mm -hmm. basically, guys, that's like our, I want to say Ohio Valley Wrestling, but you're 30, I'm 42. So, I'm guessing your, your listeners are 20. So, they yep. probably won't ohio valley wrestling is oh, it's like it was like development area for wwe it's more like that that's the original nxt for uk workers was was the holiday camps um but basically you just you work in front of a much more relaxed audience um a casual audience and if it makes if you make them a quote-unquote mistake it's not as bad because you know you're learning and it's an easy recovery and it's a easier style of wrestling that's why i got my break but it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's not as as good a kind of style of wrestling. For me, I prefer it. I love mm -hmm. that style of wrestling, holiday camp circuit, the family friendly audience. Um, but yeah, I started off with them, and Scott Conway gave me a trial in Ipswich, good old you know Ipswich at the Corn Exchange, and I got to the show, and it's really intimidating because it's at the, the uh, Ipswich Corn 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 exchange <clears throat> it's quite a traditional british wrestling world of sport uh, venue and i walked into the venue and then just everyone is just sitting around the ring all the pros and i remember there was a uh, tiger singh is it tiger singh tiger he was he's billed as kevin nash's cousin just massive american dude looked like kevin nash mm -hmm. um all of the british workers all the top boys and um i got in the ring with um this American who was over, who got trained by Dean Malenko. And they said, all right, let's see what you can do, lad. And I got in the ring and I taught that guy two moves he'd never seen before. Because I was trained in a very traditional British style of wrestling. That The style I was I got taught kind of got lost in the 70s, let alone the mm -hmm. 80s, 90s. It was a very, very traditional style of wrestling. I got taught by... People like Tony Scarlo, Vince Randell, uh, Frank Ryan at Dropkicks. With Dropkicks was was the bollocks, to be fair, back then, back in 2000. Um, <clears throat> now, I, yeah, but so basically, they really impressive what I what I was doing, and they said, okay, you've you've now earned a spot in the in the in the the Royal Rumble at Southampton, <laughs> and I was over the moon 
because it was quite intimidating getting the ring of all these all these wrestlers watching me being you know just a, a trainee basically so i passed the tryout i went to the uh went and done the uh the the the, the uh what was it no let me let me go back i did that show i think i got into the rumble i think that was the tryout did the rumble now my gimmick back then was an adrian street style gimmick called the exotic one mm-hmm. back to the park. so i had rainbow tights on i had my head in pigtails they, they said to me greg you've got loads of charisma you should do this adrian street gimmick and i didn't know a lot about it but it's they i thought if it gets my foot in the door i'll do it so i did it on that show and i don't think scott Conway knew it hit him um <laughs> i just came out of his handbag and you know was, i loved it it was lots of fun to do um so straight away just from my entrance he gave me five bookings on the spot and my first wrestling match for scott Conway was at the um southampton guild hall against george castano um in front of 2,000 people and I had security bringing me to the ring because it was, it was crazy. That was my first match. But yeah, I just, I just got on with, I got on really well with, with that, with the audience. And I knew how to, I knew how to get a reaction out of them, whether it be a good reaction or a bad reaction. It was good learning. Um, yeah. And Scott, Scott really gave me my, my kind of main roster break into British wrestling, I guess. And I was very lucky to get on with, all of the boys and the fans. What you'll find is, as wrestlers, you're either going to click with the boys and the mm-hmm. girls, or you're going to click with the fans. You know. So there's some wrestlers that always get over the fans, but the boys think that they're pricks, right? Yep. I was very lucky to kind of get the respect of both back then. Um, so this led me to get booked for lots of promotions, but also. It made me go from your more smart mark independent wrestling and I could jump back and do the family friendly, you know? And I think yep. I learned how to do that quite well because a lot of wrestlers get lost in translation when they try and do the both. In theory, it's the same thing. You just change your style. A very tad, you throw an extra move here and there, but it's pretty much the same thing. But a lot of people panic when they hear the word family friendly. You know, they think that it's a certain style, but it isn't. Or they panic when they, they hear it's like a, a Smart Mark show, an indie show or whatever. So, yeah, I'm very thankful that I had that opportunity to kind of develop my style for both genres, shall we say. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I got quite a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So then, obviously, I looked into Irish Whip Wrestling 2005 to 2006. You had some really big matches. Chris Sabin, Madman Manson, Doug Williams, Sheamus, and Johnny Storm. There's some big names there. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I don't know how, how much people know, but that's where, okay, let's, let's say this, like, so I met Seamus then at IWW mm-hmm. and, uh, he was this like six foot two ginger curtain lad, clean shaven, wearing MMA biker shorts, you know? Wow. And he said, Burridge, like, what do I need to do? And I was like, mate. Be a fucking Irishman. I'd be a fucking Irishman. So I I took him under my wing from that moment and we developed his gimmick, his style. We went down the point in Dublin. We went shopping for we went shopping for all kinds of stupid stuff. At one point he had leprechaun hats on and we was just going like the point is basically Dublin's like uh, Oxford Circus, you know, with the tourist traps. So I said he needs to be Irish and for, for me sometimes when you're developing a gimmick or you need an outside eyes looking in. And I think with, with Seamus and being where he is, you, you're, I would say you're too scared to go quote unquote stereotypical, right? Or mm-hmm. have to be, you need someone from the outside to say, have you thought about doing this shit? Like taking a step back and look at the bigger picture. And I don't think he actually realized the, the massive um, potential he could have had just to, be what he is an irish person you know yeah it's never done before really until finley and so i said right for me an irish person has spiky hair he has the beard and shaven and this is very very stands out very well this style of haircut you know yeah an irish boxer at the time i think and it kind of had the same kind of vibe um obviously you wear the color green and then we developed your style and, he, and Shamus O'Shaughnessy was born from then. It, it was named as it was well, called Shamus O'Shaughnessy. Got uh, changed to Shamus. 
Um, yeah, I just helped him. I, I advised him to come to England and he moved to Romford for a little while, Romford in Essex. Um, and we were gym buddies for a little while. And that's when we got friendly with Martin Stone as well. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like, I can't, I, I like to say I gave my two cents to help Seamus get to where he was. And I, and I definitely had a massive part in playing to creating, the, the, you know, Europe's first WWE champion, really. And if I didn't go to yep. Ireland, be questionable if that would have happened. I still remember seeing it in my head when he pushed John Cena through the table and won that belt. <laughs> yeah, I, I like, remember that very well. Yeah, he was walking down Brunford High Street a couple, couple, about a year earlier, talking. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, yeah, Irish wrestling. Um, lots of fun. They gave me a big opportunity. I had a really big opportunity there to make my name for myself. Simon Rochford, the, the, the owner, and Sean Herbert of the Wrestling Channel. Do you guys remember the Wrestling Channel? I do not. So the Wrestling Channel was basically, remember, this is this is before YouTube and all this kind of fight TV. This stuff wasn't around then. Um, the Wrestling Channel was the fight TV of the generation. It was on Sky. It was free to watch. And it basically played World of Sport, all wrestling around the world, the pay-per-views, 1PW. Um, and Irish Wrestling was the first weekly televised program to come from the gym that I was hired to go there and teach the wrestlers to, to train him. Um, so it's absolutely amazing when you think about it. Not only did, he, did we have our own wrestling premises with a ring and it was open seven days a week, we had our own TV channel that was basically catered for Irish wrestling. And at the time, Irish wrestling in Power Slam magazine was actually voted number seven in the world in world promotions above dragon gate so that's pretty that's pretty impressive right to be like oh eight, sure. yeah eight for seventh biggest promotion in the world so um it gave me that platform to step up and get noticed by a bigger audience a different audience a more smart mark catered audience shall we say um because they was doing big shows at um they had a couple of big Americans over. I think Jake Roberts wrestled for them at that time. And they had some of the big independent names at the time. April. I want to say April. I can't remember. Big independent wrestlers of the day. Back in 2004, 2005. They all worked for Irish Wrestling. So, yeah. Their biggest show that was going to run was going to be... Um, I think it was the Irish the anniversary show. And they decided I should go on with Chris Saban. So, I was like, wow, this is the biggest... Uh, probably the most famous person I wrestled up to then. I had wrestled Gangrel just before in Wales, um, which was fun. I just remember the Irish, the, the, the Welsh kids saying Gangrel, Gangrel. <laughs> That's about the only thing I can remember that match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was my biggest test in terms of he, okay, he was TNA when TNA was you know the bollocks promotion. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought I really need to go out there and show people what, what I'm about. So basically, they told me um, Chick Cullen was going to be the referee for that match. Do you guys know who Chick Cullen is? No. Okay. So this is I'm I'm learning here today. Good. <laughs> so Chick Cullen, Chick Cullen is like, like, like it, 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 it's it's a shame that a lot of people today, a lot of wrestling fans today. They don't know things like... I, I had this conversation the other day with someone. I was saying, do you know this person? Do you know that person? Chick Cullen. If we weren't, if it wasn't for people like Chick Cullen, we wouldn't be here now. There wouldn't be a British wrestling scene because they're the people that, that pioneered that scene in the 70s. Chick, Chick Cullen was a Stampede Pro wrestling wrestler from England that trained with Owen Hart, Bret Hart, all the hearts, went to train in the dungeon, trained, um, had, went to World of Sport. And if you go onto YouTube, there's a really good match between Chick Cullen and Owen Hart, a young Owen Hart and a young Chick Cullen. But Chick Cullen pioneered that style of wrestling over here in the UK. Okay, so he was, a, he was one of the forefronts of the, of the modern style of wrestling back then in the 70s, along with people like Rollerball Rocco. Um, now, Chick Cullen is a highly, highly respected individual, not just in Britain, but around the world. Um, my second ever match was for Brian Dixon, and it's for All-Star Wrestling, and it was at Red, um, Red Hill, Surrey, in a theatre. And Chick Cullen was there, and that's the first time I met him, and it was a tag match, 
and it was me and Sticks versus um, Dean Olmark and someone else. Can't remember who. So anyway, <laughs> like, I we shit the building up. That's what I remember. <laughs> and Jake Roberts was on the show, right? And yep. The stage, it was a theatre stage, so there was only one side of an one side of an audience, right? So you just had the audience in front of you. So to your left, all the boys would watch your match. And I couldn't see the faces, but you could just make out this massive silhouette of Jake Roberts. He's like <laughs> and everyone else, right? Um and I, I remember Dean Allmark pulled it aside and he proper bollocked me about my European uppercuts were probably wafty at the time. I mean, I've been wrestling like three months, I think, and I'm on this this show. Um, mm-hmm. And he proper bollocked me. And uh, Chick Cullen also gave me a, a word in, but he wasn't impressed with me at all, Chick Cullen. So I thought, the last one, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fucking make Chick Cullen respect me. What? I thought, well, I'm not. I've always been that way. Everyone said I wouldn't be a wrestler. So I was like, right, fuck, fuck you. Watch this. I'm going to be a pro wrestler. So a lot of the things I do in life, and it's just because I wanted to go, fuck you. You told me I couldn't do that. But I did it. Um, so, um, and another thing on that show, this is when I realised British wrestling was shit. Because back, hello, bro. I lost you. Yeah. You're back. Yep. Sorry, you were talking yeah. about obviously Chick Cullen. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So did I tell you about the Jake Roberts bit yet? Yep. Okay, so basically, um, my first introduction to pro wrestling as a as a fan was my grandma and my grandpa took me on holiday and they bought me a, two action figures. I didn't know what they were, but I wanted them. And it was a man with a snake around his neck and the other one had a tuxedo. And I went, I just wanted them to look cool. And it was a Jake Roberts action figure and a million dollar man, Ted DiBiase action figure. That was why I'm talking to you now on this podcast, because I went into a toy shop and bought those two action figures. So Jake Roberts for me is this massive influential figure. He's a, I respect the fuck out of him. You know, he's an amazing person. Um, this is when I realized British wrestling was, was cool shit, right? That idol who I love and I, I still do. And he's an amazing person finished the show and got into a blue Ford Capri. Right. And I went, why is Jake Roberts in a blue Ford Capri? And if people don't know what a Capri is, it's basically like a fiesta. Imagine like fucking Kenny Omega getting into like a rusty Fiesta, and I was just like, were... "Yeah," I was just like, "Oh, wrestling shit!" I got bollocked by fucking Chick Cullen. Dean Mark fucking thinks I'm shit, and now fucking Jake Roberts just got into a rusty old fucking full Capri on top of a Red Hill Surrey car park. <laughs> like, and I remember that the show before I just did the camps. It, we had a really good one, and then go to go to that was a crashing back to reality. But you need this shit, you know. You need this to build and grow. You can't have it. Everyone can't just go straight forward in your pro wrestling career. And that was my first introduction. But it made me go right. I'm going to prove to these people I can wrestle and I can do this. So anyway, let's jump forward to Ireland. Me versus Chris Saban. Simon Rochford pulls me aside. Oh, by the way, Chick Cullen's your referee tonight. He's flown over from Ireland because he's in town. So we're going to put him in as the special referee. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. So now I really have to impress. And I probably took this match seriously. I was training hard and eating right. Um, And I wanted not to have the style of match that Chris Saban is probably stereotypically asked to do. I said, I'm going to show you how we do it in Britain. You can do your high flying. You can do your TNA style. I'm going to do my world of sports style. And we're going to mesh the two together and see what happens. So I did. Mm-hmm. We had an amazing match. It was a really fucking good match. And I think it was one of the best matches on the show. And Chick Cullen uh, pulled me aside and he shook my hand. He went, you've really improved. And, you you know, you're fucking doing really well, you know. And it was like that moment where I, I got his respect. But I kind of needed that. If he hadn't bollocked me at Red Hill Surrey, I wouldn't have had as good as a match because that's how I work as a human. I need to be mm-hmm. told I can't or prove I need to prove people wrong sometimes. I feed off that energy. So for me, it was, I, I kind of tell me I can't and I'll prove you I'll prove you I can. That's how I work. And I think that's a good that that you need to be hungry as a wrestler, but you need to have that that motivation to kind of not prove people wrong, but 
let make art make people think you can't do it it's the underdog story you know and i've always been the underdog so that kind of energy helps me but um yeah irish wrestling really good promotion really good time out there um yeah just a really important part of my career really yeah absolutely and obviously the uk audience go ahead right okay so I'm old. I'm 42. This the, the, the story's dripping, dripping thin. I ramble along, and sometimes I shit my pants, and I forget and piss myself. But yeah, this story. Okay, so right, I just wrestled Vampiro, right in Italy. Vampiro's my idol. I fucking love Vampiro, right? I just wrestled him in in Italy in front of 10,000 people in a casket match, where I lost, and I'm laying in a coffin in front of 10,000 people. It's fucking weird. And it was in Reggiana, Calibria, and there's a big volcano on the edge of the island, and it's kind of smoking. I thought, this is the most fucked up match scenario <laughs> under date. Resting my idol in a coffee match with a fucking, like, smoking volcano in the background at the airport. So, um, anyway, I flew back to Ireland, because that's where I was working at the time, mm -hmm. and straight into Gym Wars, IWW Gym Wars in Dublin, in an industrial warehouse in our wrestling unit in a fucking snowy pissy rain <laughs> and we was getting had to get changed outside down the fucking crack between the two buildings we didn't have a dressing room didn't even have a roof we had to get dressed in between the crack between one industrial unit and the other right wow, and I was, wow. oh I, I just fucking wrestled in front of ten thousand people now i'm wrestling in a fucking cracking island right so Anyway, we got we did the match, and I wrestled Seamus on that one, and I I spent the whole match just trying to make him laugh. So it was so easy to make him laugh. I just knew the, I just knew where to what to push on him to make him laugh or, or break break face break kayfabe so to say. So anyway, we did the match. There's only seven people in that building. Do you know who three of them were? Uh, no. Becky Lynch. Fergal Devitt and Shameless, free WWE. <laughs> and wow. Thinking, this is the shit. Like, I just remember thinking how shit it was there. But then I look back now and I go, there was three world champions in that building, like out of seven. You know, you know, like they have you ever heard the story about how the Sex Pistols started? And the Sex Pistols did a concert in front of seven, seven people, but those seven people were like Mick Hucknall, Morrissey, someone else, and mm -hmm. someone else. Kind of like that. You know, it's just like fuck me. It was like seven people in that building, all, like half the crowd ended up being WWE World Champions. That is crazy. That is absolute yeah. crazy. So obviously, a lot of the UK audience know you. Obviously, being a part of One PW. I mean, you've got some big match wins against Park, AJ Styles, Nigel McGuinness, and obviously even wrestled Abyss. I mean, talk about obviously going to One PW first off. Okay, so it kind of links in quite nicely with Ireland because. um yeah, I was getting my name out there from, with promoters. I was doing a lot of shows in Austria and Germany, and so hanging out with um, yeah certain wrestlers. And like these these wrestlers would be putting me over to promoters, and they'd be the ones saying to me, "Oh, this there's a company that wants to do a show with me. Do you want to come along?" So I was like, "Okay." Um, and one of them was on PW, and. Stephen had messaged me and he says, we've seen your stuff on MySpace because <laughs> it was MySpace at the time. Something like that. <laughs> um, we really like it. Um, we're going to put you in the Rumble and we're going to have you over as the winner of the Rumble. So I was like, okay, cool. But then I talked to seven other people and they all had the same message. They're going to win the Rumble, right? So I'm like, well, who told you we're going to win the Rumble? Well, they told this, this, this. I was like, okay. Not that it matters, but like seven people have been told they're going to win the Rumble. But Stephen was adamant that I was the one winning the Rumble. So I didn't know what to think. Um, lo and behold, got to the show and I did. I won the Rumble. And the person who wins the Rumble gets a contract for 1PW. That was the stipulation. So... And if you watch the first ever 1PW DVD, the first match and the first person you see on the first ever show is me. That comes out. I'm number one in that Rumble and come out and do that stuff. Um, so I said, okay, what you're going to do on the next show is you're going to wrestle Doug 
in the title qualifier, but you're going to lose. And that'll be it. I was like, okay, cool. Well, that's, that's got my name up there a little bit. Let's put a little bit more exposure. Wicked. Cool. Okay, let's do it. So <clears throat> on the next show, uh, my first match was Doug. Now, Doug was supposed to win, but he couldn't win because he was booked to go to Noah and defend the, the Noah tag titles. So he couldn't advance to the next round. So um, before we go on, wrestling is not real, everyone. Just so in case you're going to get the ump about this this year. So I was booked to win. Okay. So I got booked to go over against Doug Williams, another one of my idols and, you know, like a, a massive player in British wrestling. Now, I love Doug because I've wrestled Doug loads. Sometimes I've had really shit matches with Doug. Sometimes I've had good matches and I've learned a lot. This match was actually not a bad one, but I remember being really sick. Um, but here's why Doug's awesome. Doug's a, a proper established pro wrestler. I'd been wrestling for three years by then, three or four years. So I was still mm -hmm. really trainee in, in many aspects. He didn't have to pop me over, but he did. So, yeah, like he could have just not done the booking, but he decided he'd, he'd take the pin. Um, I walked into that building no one who knew who the fuck I was, nor did they care. They're like, who's this prick with a skinhead and like he's got fucking dust in his pants? Um, so when I beat Doug, if you listen to the reception, it's like one, two, three. <laughs> Happen, you know, and that you could argue is what kind of started me on my path to 1PW success because. By luck, by chance, I've managed to get into the second round of the of the um, 1PW Championship. So next match was Abyss, right? And Abyss booked it. It was it was a squash match, and I was like, "All right, it's a squash match." But watch this: if if I'm going to get squashed, I'm going to get myself over, right? That's how we're going to do it. I wanted to do a, a bigger match, but it ended up being like a two minute squash. So I got on the microphone at the start of the next show and I cut a promo basically saying to the crowd, an empathetic response promo. I said, look, basically, I am the only British person in this tournament. Tonight, I'm not going in there for me. I'm going in there for each and every single person in this building. And I basically got the whole people behind me for the whole pride of British kind of angle. So when Abyss came out and he squashed me, I got my, I got my dice out, stuck it in his face and then he done his black hole slam um i laid on the floor <laughs> and i thought i'm not leaving the ring i'm gonna stay here fuck it fuck it doesn't matter so i let him leave the ring first and then once he was off the ring i stayed on the floor for about another 10 20 seconds then the lights came up and then i slowly got up and i got a massive round of applause and that was it i was a face i was super over you know so I could. Just... I remember actually. I remember actually watching that match, and you, I think you said it best there. The crowd reaction, even though it was a squash match, was absolutely terrific. Yeah, like I said. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it's like um, back then. I don't think there was as much respect for the British wrestlers as there is now. We kind of helped achieve that with the Americans a bit. But the one thing I kind of got when I, I it's it's not that i don't think they respected the british wrestlers i just felt they had this feeling of they were better because the wrestling is that wrestling scene in america is more established and that 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 fucks me off to be honest you know mm -hmm. it does and it, it i don't think it happens as much now what i like is now britain is, is is looking around the world as an established promotion just like it was in the 60s and 70s the british wrestlers would go abroad and show them how it's done Around that time, it felt like it was the other way around. They're coming here to show us how it's done. And yes, we did need them. We did need them. If you look at FWA, FWA is built on the back of like bringing in a couple of imports. Like two like lower card ECW imports would make the show like, oh my God, it's the biggest British promotion ever. You know, they've got Blue Mini on the card. It's amazing. So I kind of felt there was like a feeling between the Americans that they were doing us a favor by being over here. You know, so that's mm -hmm. kind of like, well, why can't we build our own superstars of pride of Britain? So that was the kind of angle I was trying to get at with that 
whole promo and staying in the ring after. And I think it worked. I think it worked. Um, yeah, well, I think it... Do you think it worked? I think it did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think there's some amazing, obviously, talent in the UK scene right now. I mean... I can literally name so many right wrestlers, you know, who's making a name for themselves. And obviously we'll touch on a couple, which obviously you it kind of leads me into my next actual point, actually. The training school. Now you've obviously trained some amazing people. We'll get onto the big one, but Nina Samuels, Karen Noir, Murdoch, that's three names there. Oh, is he gone again? I've lost you. There you go. So I said it again. So we're talking obviously about obviously the training school and obviously a couple of names I want to throw at you before obviously we talk about Willie's. Karen Noir, Nina Samuels, and obviously Murdoch who was on the show last week. What are we talking about? Willie's? Yeah. What? What did you say then? Before we talk about Willie's? We're talking about Will. Oh, okay. That was a Freudian slip, wasn't it, young man? We can talk about Willie's if you want. Who's got the biggest Willie in wrestling? <laughs> Jody Flash. No. Of the story, <laughs> uh, I've kind of lost my train of thought now, <laughs> but yeah, obviously, I was talking obviously about the training school, and obviously, a couple of names you've obviously trained is obviously Karen Noir, Nina Samuels, and obviously Murdoch, who obviously was on my show last week. Yeah, talk about obviously what talk about obviously training these three. Yeah, I mean, I had a wrestling school in um Bethnal Green called the London School of Lucha Libre, had that since. 2009 i guess um and we it was like a feeder promotion for our promotion called the london lucha britannia which is a cabaret based wrestling show with mexican wrestling and cabaret acts so um yeah i, I would say i was disheartened with british wrestling scene but the reason i love doing that school and doing lucha britannia because i was like look all this drama in wrestling I'm just going to do my own thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do my own thing with our own promotion. And then people will come work for it. And if they decide to go work for outside promotions, then so be it. And that was always the thing with the school. But the training was so good. The atmosphere was so good. Everything was so good. We just had everyone come down and start training with us. Um, so Kawa Noir originally trained somewhere else, but wasn't getting anywhere in his career. Didn't have the right gimmick. Didn't have the right look. And we helped him develop what he is now. And it's the, you can say the same with Nina as well, because she came from another school in the Midlands, I believe. Um, and Murdoch started again. I'm going to have to edit this out after. But yeah, you, you were talking about, obviously, Murdoch. Mm. Murdoch was a product from the school because he came and watched the Lucha Britannia shows, I believe. And it's quite mad how many wrestlers have come into the scene just because they came and watched a cabaret show in london mm-hmm. because it wasn't billed as a wrestling show it was billed as like a cabaret show with mexican wrestling in it with fire breathers and all this kind of stuff so being central london located as well we had a right plethora of different kind of people come to the school we had artists we had drag queens and drag um, drag artists and we had um, performers we had city workers we had athletes, we had models, we had everyone come to the school. Um, so it was a right melting pot, the London School of Libre. Um, so yeah, we had that for a long time. But my experience working in Ireland and and being a head trainer at Dropkicks in 2001 to 2000, well, 2003, really, I was at Dropkicks. Then I went to Ireland and I was playing around with other things. I kind of developed... Um, a t- a, a, like a style of teaching I think that I think benefited everyone there and I'd already had 10 years in the business by then so it was just kind of like showing people what I've learned my way mm-hmm. of doing stuff because I was just like them coming in from a wrestling school um, but I think anyone can be a trainer but not everyone can be a teacher you know and teaching is just as important as training so not only are you teaching pe- t- uh, training people to wrestle you're teaching them one about life you're teaching them a lot of these guys come in as like 17 year old kids really 18 year olds so you're kind of showing them you're, you're like a big brother really a lot of the times and you're helping them to build their confidence in life not just in wrestling and it, i wouldn't even just say it's, it's it's like we've i've had guys that are in their, their 30s and they've come in and they're, they're down and they're overweight and then you give them that little bit of confidence and show them the, what 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 the 
what they really like that inside them waiting to come out and then it's like a like a like a phoenix from the flames this new person comes out that shell and they you know then you just see them just smashing life in their 30s and they said oh, i never would have thought it'd been possible if i didn't come here and it's not just wrestling you know it's just being more confident what? within yourself and that's what was good about the school just people were just becoming better humans you know outside of wrestling let alone inside and then like the bonus of it you, you, you know you get to put spandex on and beat people up in the ring so um uh that's brilliant that's a nice little thing and obviously a lot of people surprisingly a lot of the us fans doesn't actually know this but of course you are responsible for obviously training will osprey i mean talk about obviously basically working with will and obviously watching him grow yeah i mean i know i known will since drop kicks when he was like six <laughs> yeah. um he says he knows me since six i can't remember to be honest that's when we first met apparently i my earliest memory of will was because of will's mum uh will's mum messaged me and said will really respects you he's a big fan can you come down and teach will some wrestling and will's mum had a community center in Rainham, Essex, which is like two minutes away from me. Okay. Like where I'm from, Havering is the Calgary, Alberta, Canada of British pro wrestling. There's a right hub of people that have come from the area. Martin Stone, Kyra Noir, Callum Newman, Will Ospreay, myself, Terry, Shah. A lot of wrestlers have come from this little pocket of Essex, you know. Um, so there was like two miles that, well, not say that, that, that five minutes down the road in Raynham. Um and I went into the community centre and there's no ring, just a bunch of kids just running mental backyarding on each other pretty much, right? Um mm -hmm. and <laughs> they was they was putting their stuff on MySpace and cutting it up into movie uh, uh, MVs and stuff. It's quite impressive really. So there was all these like internet matches going on while we we're there being filmed just filming it on cameras and stuff um and i said to sue lovely woman amazing woman so really is really good mum um and she runs the rcwa also in Raynham. i said i can't train will because he's a backyard wrestler you know i can't mm -hmm. show his moves to do in backyard that he's now going to do on his little montage videos and put onto MySpace. It's not so much now, but back then, backyarding was a fucking no. If you was found out as a backyarder, you would have been blacklisted from the industry straight, straight, straight away. And you don't teach backyarders to wrestle because that would have been just as bad. So that was the thing I had to say. To, I had to say to Sue, and she was. I could see that like the um, she was upset, and I think. Sue just didn't want Will to get into any gangs, you know. That's why she pushed the wrestling and pushed for him to have their own community center. And you think of what what she did. She set up a community center. She got thirty to forty people off the streets that could have easily ended up, you know, going the the other direction in life. So she gave them a safe place to kind of get away from that temptation. And that part of the world is a bit rough. So, so yeah, I felt a bit conflicted. Because I could see what, like what she was trying to do, but I said to Will and I said to Sue, "Look, you got you know if you want to take this seriously and you want to progress properly in the, in the business, when you're ready to stop backyarding and doing this sort of stuff, come and see me and I'll I'll train you up. We'll get you ready." So fast forward a couple of years, <clears throat> I was actually looking for people to put in my film. I was making a film at the time, and um, I was just flicking through MySpace and came across. A young Will Ospreay, and there's this ten-year-old kid, right? And he did this thing on this MySpace m m uh, montage video that, that I can still see. I can still see it in my mind's eye, right? So the space they had to wrestle in—remember, it's got no ring—was a hundred square foot, hundred square foot. So it's like imagine six rings stuck next to each other. Basically, that's a six British wrestling ring against each other, right? That's the size of the, the hall. Mm -hmm. Will was in the corner, so he's here. His opponent was like here. Will, Will went on what he went, he jumped up in the air and he went boom, 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 spun, landed on one foot, right? 
and then went bang taekwondo spin kick to the head on one foot across 60 foot floor so Whoa. i just went uh, uh, that's not human that was the first yeah. moment i saw the potential in will um and Will had been doing, Will made all those movie montage videos himself as well. That was all him, the editing, the cutting, everything. Weirdly, that helps you become a better wrestler by editing and cutting your own stuff. Weirdly, because you're seeing how things flow. You're seeing what you're doing wrong, seeing what you're doing correctly. I think that kind of helped him. And it shows you his love for the business to, to basically run an online internet wrestling backyard federation on MySpace, which is basically what he was running with his mates. Mm -hmm. And this spin kick was incredible. And I remember thinking, I need to take him under my ring, my 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 wing, because that needs to be nurtured and become great. You know, he's like a diamond and needed polishing. Um now Will messaged me about two years later after that. He said, I'm ready to go pro. So I was like, come down to the school, we'll get you trained up, we'll teach you the business. You can do the moves. He can do the taekwondo spin kicks. He doesn't know how he can do it, right? He doesn't mm -hmm. know where to do it. He doesn't know why he should do it and why he shouldn't. That's what you teach someone like Will Ospreay, you know? You can do these moves. Why are you doing it? How are you doing it? Where do you do it? What's it for? Why should you not do it in certain circumstances? What's the story behind it? That's how you teach him, you know? So that's what we did. And it was kind of getting this natural raw talent he has because he was a feral wrestler. He's a backyarder, right? Backyarding mm -hmm. is basically just doing moves like jackass. Yes, yeah, he's jackass wrestling. So you have to teach him the art of wrestling, the story behind it, all this kind of stuff. And that's basically the main thing we did, Will. And then it was like tweaking. So, Will, you're doing a really nice, I don't know, shooting star flip. But have you a fault? If you just adjust your arm slightly, you're going to get a nicer rotation on your spin. So all these different things you're teaching him. And again, like I said earlier, anyone can be a trainer, but not everyone can be a teacher. So you're a big brother and you're looking out for him. You're making sure promoters don't fuck him around. You're getting him his bookings. You're making sure Will doesn't say anything or do anything wrong. He's a kid, right? Yeah. Again, it's a part of the business. Because you haven't got someone doing that, you wouldn't be a Will Ospreay today. Because Will also would have got bullied out of business day one because of the way he is. He's very, he's a very like, um, he's slightly autistic, Will. And he's very, he's, he's a kid. So you have to look after him, you know, and protect him. And with the reputation I had, it wasn't hard for me to do that. So that's the key thing you do with Will. And I've just been looking after him and doing that since he was a young lad. And he's a grown, grown man now who I'm very proud of. What a, what a like... I'm super proud of Will, not just as a wrestler, as a, as a human being, you know, he's a fucking awesome bloke. And when I watched, when I watched him at Wembley the other day, and there's that big statue of Bobby Moore as you walk in, and I'm sitting there watching the match with his mum and dad. And his mum and dad, his dad would hang off the rafters at my gym watching Will wrestle for Lucha Britannia. And it's weird sitting in the Royal booth with his dad watching Will in front of 81,000. You know, it's a kind of, it was a strange full circle feeling. But there's a big statue of Bobby Moore at um, Wembley as you walk in, as you sit down. And I just sat down and I went, fuck me, Will is the Bobby Moore of British wrestling. You know, he has that following. He has that power to become a spokesperson for Britain in terms of British pro wrestling. So I don't think we've ever had anyone who could match that potential as well you could argue you had people like pat roach again another one of my idols do you know who pat roach is i've heard of him yes <clears throat> yeah. so pat roach was basically one of the main wrestlers that stepped over from pro wrestling and became an actor you know so he was a very big face in britain in terms of world of sports style because everyone known him from alvidas and pep also knew he was a wrestler so he really was a spokesperson for british wrestling will has that potential to be a Pat Roach, but a next generation. He's Bobby Moore and Pat Roach in a new kind of like body of this amazing wrestling. And he hasn't got that that gimmicky acting side thing that a lot of wrestlers have that would put him in that position. He's 120% pure wrestling. 
So I think the future of British wrestling is very exciting with Will leading the way because in five, six years, he's going to imagine what wrestling is going to be in five, six years with him leading the way, you know? So I don't think it's the last time we're going to see Will Ospreay main event Wembley. Not at all, not at all. So you mentioned obviously making a film and that kind of leads me obviously onto my next one, which is of course London Rampage. This yeah. I've actually seen this movie, by the way, and it is actually a good little movie. So talk about obviously because I remember you saying that you did everything, you did the editing, you did the the script, you did the whole rigmarole with this. Yeah, I just wanted to make a movie, and everyone said you're gonna make a movie. Fuck me, watch me. I'm gonna make a movie. I'm gonna make it for a thousand pounds. How the fuck are you gonna make a movie for a thousand pounds? So watch, I did for one thousand pounds. It's not even the food budget of fucking. Jamie Foxx's lunch for one day. I don't know. I made the whole film with a thousand pounds and just didn't know what I was doing fully, but I knew I kind of um, was a big fan of Robert Rodriguez and the way he made films. And I followed his style. El Mariachi was his first film. He made that for very little money. He actually made that film for 10,000 pounds, but 8,000 pounds of that went on to actually buying the film to get that made. You know, what I had the benefit of is the enhancement of technology that I could just do it on a laptop. And I had a £400 laptop from Argos, a £400 semi-pro fucking camcorder from Argos, and a, a shit DSLR camera. That was it. And a couple of trainees to hold things. <laughs> that, that, was, <laughs> that was it. So I made the film on about £1,000. Um Are we... Don't worry about it. I can edit. I can edit all this stuff out. Don't worry about it. So yeah, I, I made the film a thousand pounds, and I thought um, I did a lot of research into filmmaking. Spoke to a lot of people, and I did a film called Ten Dead Men. It was Ross Boyesque. He's a good friend of mine, and Jude Poyer, who was the stunt coordinator for Gangs of London with gareth reed he's i said i did the film with him it's my first big film that film i got stabbed in the neck bled out and shot in the back of a shotgun that was a good way to die um and i said to jude i said i want to make a film what do i need to do and he says have you got friends <laughs> i said yes he went, Pick the camera up and just start filming so i was like okay i will and I did. That's what I did. I just picked the camera and started filming. And I spoke to another director who actually directed Sucker Punch, the British version. And he said, write a script, but do things that are available to you. Don't do a sci-fi film because you'll never get it made. He's like, what do you have available to you? I said, well, I have London available to me. I have council estates. I have this. I can't bring guns onto the street. I can't do that. So I can make an action film based around London, you know. And that's what I did. I just got what I had around me. Students, a thousand pounds worth of cameras and a laptop um that idea and a script that was based around a, a a fight tournament that happened in london pretty much and that was it and that's that's what happened i made london rampage um and it got my foot in the door it got noticed and everyone couldn't believe i made it for a thousand pounds so that went on to can and got sold at can um and one of the most random things was i was at can right and I, it got bought up by a company called California Pictures. And I was at the California Pictures party. And I was sitting in the in the uh, kitchen with this guy from New Zealand. And he was a bit, he was being a bit of a prick to me, I could tell. He was like, <laughs> he said, so what, what do you do? He said, oh, I made a film called London Rampage. And his eyes went like this. I went, London Rampage? That's what I watched before I come here. And the film had been sold to New Zealand, right? And he's mm -hmm. in change his energy to me and i went just for that one thing right there that was worth making that film you know just sit in a party at can and for some fucking film dude from new zealand to watch my film and that film's got sold to like korea and random places i don't know how that film can play in korea what the how the fuck did i know what's going on someone said to me my film was the the best episode of eastenders directed by jackie chan and i thought that's a great way to explain what that movie is so I don't understand how they understand the Cockney bits of talking. But like I said, it, it was the first film I made. That it isn't perfect, but it, yeah, it got my foot in the door. But I've actually made a second film, um, and it's called Death Pit. And let me show you this little flyer here, because this is going to 
be going live soon. This is the flyer. Ooh. Yeah. As you can see, he's actually got Cara Noir in the top there. He's in the film. Wow. We've got Brian Larkin, who's actually a really good mate of mine. He's he's done things like Narco Saints and all these cool Netflix program programs. He's got Jody Flash in there. He's got myself, obviously. Anthony Agogo makes an appearance. But this is kind of like my, my second stab at making a film, being a stunt coordinator and bringing in the stunt team. Because the one thing I, I kind of like doing is bringing in my own stunt team, which is a wrestling-based stunt team, and showing the world just how capable wrestlers are at doing stunts and acting. Because that's, that's basically what we do as a living, right? But the way that we can choreograph our fighting can be more contact-based. So you don't have to cheat the angles to make it look like the punches connect we can actually connect so we can get some really exciting angles going on plus we can do something really um uh, uh, like 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 cool by making like including lucha libre wrestling and pro wrestling in with some really cool fight sequences so that's kind of like my vibe is getting always been my vibe since maybe 2010 when i first went on this path of wanting to become a, a like a a leading leading face in in stunt coordinating using wrestling as its base so yeah that's kind of like what i'm doing with this film that's what burridge fight design is basically it's kind of teaching people to wrestle but also teaching people to become the next rock and the next john cena you know and the next batista because a wrestler in 2023 shouldn't just limit their skills to in ring we are much mm -hmm. bigger Skills are multifaceted. We can take to many different paths. You can take to the stage. You can take into comedy. You can take into film, like we're doing. So, The Rock will be the president of the world one day, and it came from him learning how to bump. If you want to look at it like that, so that's kind of what I want to get wrestlers understanding. A lot of wrestlers, it feels like they're a bit scared to show their true charisma. So this is also going to help them bring out that that inner charisma just by just by acting and and just going with that flow you know so yeah. yeah absolutely so a few little more things we obviously discussed before we like wind down is you just mentioned obviously stunt work and uh, you've done obviously harry potter as well i mean is there any other movies which people might not know about you've done stunt work for well there's a film coming out this week expendables 4 i was in that um with jason statham and and Sylvester Stallone, I, I mate, I, when I tell you, I, I don't care if I die tomorrow. Now I'm like, I've fucking done Expendables four, <laughs> and it all came about because one day I went, I'm going to make a film called London Rampage with a bunch of trainees and a, a fucking camera that's worth four hundred quid, you know. And everyone told me I couldn't do it, right? And I was like, watch, I'm going to do it. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible if you want it that bad. And I, I sat there on set doing a fight scene and there's Sylvester Stallone, my idol, there's Jason Statham, another idol. When it's because I, I basically didn't listen to what everyone was telling me that I couldn't do, you know? And I think that's an important lesson for everyone. Don't listen to the nayers. They're too scared to give it a go themselves, most probably. That's why I say you can't do it because they're too scared to do it themselves. Anything in life, and I mean anything in life is possible if you want it that badly. So for me, doing Expendables was like, if that's the last thing I ever do in film, I don't care because that's what I wanted to do. And that was it. You know, for me, it doesn't get much bigger to be a stuntman on the biggest film franchise with your heroes, that guys that you grew up watching. So, yeah. And it really, I won't say it yet, but there's a really interesting wrestling based story from that film that there's a fight part of the film with a little bit of fighting is it wouldn't have been the same if i wasn't there because i helped choreograph a little bit of the action which is basically a bit of wrestling but wait till the film comes out so you know about okay. that and it's full circle for me you know the power of pro wrestling in film and yeah so yeah expendables 4 that comes out but yeah harry potter um was the first was one of, uh, one of the first i did um i was in portugal the other year working on guy a guy um guy pierce film called infernal machine i was the head stunt coordinator on that that was my first um that was my my biggest fight choreography job out in portugal choreographing some of the action on that film um it's just something i love doing it was just for me a natural progression progression from wrestling um so i just think all wrestlers should learn how to be a stunt man as well as a wrestler 
because we offer so much that stunt man can't do, you know, and they're always asking us how they do certain things, but we can not only do what they can do, right. But we can do it in one take, which for them, they don't, they can do obviously, but they're not as used to doing it because we can do our stuff off the cuff and keep going and just do it in one singular take because that's how we plan our matches. Plus sometimes when we plan matches, we're planning them as our music's playing. So we, we built up a certain tolerance to working fast, working efficient, work correctly. If there's a mistake that happens, we know instantly how to cover it because we're live action. We're live action performers, you know. In mm -hmm. film, you get luxury to cut and reset, cut and reset, cut and reset. So I think there's a massive market for pro wrestlers. And also we look so different from stuntmen, you know. We're always going to get those roles that need bigger meet you looking different people you're always going to get them plus wrestlers know how to act and like i said just look at batista batista is a, to me is an amazing actor if you take away his physical appearance but his physical appearance is the total package and again the same with the rock so um yeah stunt work is very important for pro wrestling in 2023 and that's kind of what what i want to do in my rest of my wrestling career whatever it is my legacy just teach wrestlers how to become good stuntmen and performers and that's and that's funny you just mentioned legacy because that's my final question with everything you've done obviously in wrestling stunt work movies what do you obviously want the legacy of greg burrish to be uh, it's a good question <laughs> i just don't gotten i think that's the worst thing to be honest it's not nice being it's 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 kind of like pisses me off and people don't know who you are they go like <laughs> You go, well, sorry, mate, what's your name? And you're like, you know, I'm Greg Burrish. Like, okay, look at it this way. You didn't know who Chick Cullen was, right? Okay. Like, it's the same because it's the generation before you. But of course you wouldn't know Chick Cullen. Is because how would you have known him? Because he came from a generation that wasn't on social media. The, t the matches they played were on VHS tapes that have been lost to time. So the only way you would have known who Chick Cullen is through watching him either live, which I, you would have been about two years old, right? Or your dad telling him where he was. Or somehow watching some of his matches somehow, right? <clears throat> and mm -hmm. I, think, I think, like, what I would like is just, I think the fans today, it would just be nice to them to realise that wrestling did start in Britain before 2012, you know? And if you look to where it came from before the big pop of Brit Rest, you know, the indie style... None of that would be here today if it wasn't for the other trickle-down companies that made that possible. Your FWAs, for instance, your XWAs, your World of Sports, stuff before World of Sport. Who was the big boys from the 50s? What was their style? What did they? Who did they influence? And for me, I would just like to be known as, oh, Greg Burridge, that guy who helped this guy get to there he got here to there but he was also did this he wasn't just a guy that wore fairy dice <laughs> he was a pioneer that helped people become better and started this fight trend the burridge fight design and the stunts just i want people to know who i am and what i did not just another um statistic you know but uh i just want a massive like fuck it i want a massive gold statue in the middle of piccadilly circus right that's what i want 29 foot high statue of burridge with big like led lettering saying you know king of the world barrage not a lot you know just the usual there you go and <laughs> wow this has been really fun greg thank you so much obviously taking the time to talk to us uh, before we obviously head off is there anything you want to plug my friend yep just okay if you could go to like the socials and go to death pit enter the death pit on instagram and if you could go to deathpit.co.uk here and just keep on track with the developments of this film because it's going to be coming out soon so i just want to finish on this like it's, it's been really like you, you see why the people are striking in america because um the way that film is at the minute is totally fucked. the way that it's distributed is changed and the, the money share it's super hard to get your film out there especially now as an independent filmmaker it's near impossible so it's kind of half the reason why a lot of people are striking and doing the equity strikes and the SAG, SAG actor strikes. Um, what I want to do is release Death Pit to the public, but I'm going to give you a very special gift as a thank you if you did purchase my movie through the means that I want to distribute it. So if you could just keep in touch 
with me at deathpit.co.uk and on the Instagram at enter the death pit. You'll learn all about it. And I promise you guys, it's going to be absolutely groundbreaking. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I don't think anyone's going to attend what I've done in the industry with my background in wrestling, my background in stunts, my background in entertainment. I hope I'm going to bring you something unique and it's going to get death pit out there like it deserves. It needs to be um, seen by as many people as possible. So yeah, deathpit.co.uk. There you go. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. Thank you very much, dude. Cheers, Later. guys.